Broadcasting live by a three by four foot closet floor. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother, and Ricardo is not here today. Because... Ricardo's taken a little break this week. Well, I mean, for the last six months or so, but, you know, one more week. As you may have noticed, we've been off the air for a little bit, like half a year. <laughs> About? Obviously, we don't need to tell everybody what's going on in the world with COVID-19. We were sent disparately to different parts of the Midwest and were <laughs> unable to get together for recording. I had all the equipment, so we couldn't even Skype until now. But good news is Seamus and I both have our microphones. Ricardo's microphone is on the way to him, so he should be with us next week. And we're sent recording it in the mail over... yesterday. It's perfect. <laughs> we're recording over Skype. So we should be good to go. You know, I think I'm just going to be in my dark closet forever for this show now. I think this is where my studio is. Yeah, well, hopefully at some point we'll be able to all get back in the same place again when it's safe for us to do it. We all are on kind of different tracks now. Yeah, so it's a... Uh... we'll just see where it takes us. But don't worry, we're back coming at you every Sunday just like we used to be. Yeah, there's so much there's never been more time to watch movies, to watch television. I've been playing in in an insane amount of video games. It's you know, I'm I've got a lot of content overload right now. A lot of stuff that uh, you know, in the past I might have never even thought of giving a shot, but you know, it's open season on everything. Everything is like as interesting as it could be. All right, with that, I think we should just jump right into news. What do you think, Seamus? Okay, the biggest piece of news that I have seen uh, today, at least, it, it was kind of rumored a little bit in the last week about uh, the Batman set. Uh, all the cast and crew have now been officially quarantined after Robert Pattinson has tested positive for COVID. You know, that really bums me out for a thousand different reasons, including the amazing new trailer that we just got. And honestly, how much I've grown to love Robert Pattinson specifically in the last about year or so, kind of going through his backlog. And uh, I think you just told me this, Garrett, but they are not that far along into filming right now in terms of having to shut down like completely right now. No, Matt Reeves uh, at DC Fandom a few weeks ago, which we will cover in a later episode said that as of now they have about 25% of the movie shot. This is a problem shutting down because of COVID that a lot of productions in Hollywood are facing right now because, frankly, the world is, like, specifically the U.S., is just not ready to go back to this kind of large-scale production. Uh, Jurassic World, I think, has started production and stopped production twice now. Is that because true? Of COVID oh outbreaks. Yeah. I know this is a really rough time to be in the entertainment industry in terms of the uncertainty of getting work. But Hollywood, I think, really needs to reevaluate where their priorities are in terms of safety for their cast and crew. Because it's not only... Yeah, sure, it makes the news when Robert Pattinson get test positive for COVID-19. But think about all of the grips and the assistant cameras and the production assistants that are going to be also testing positive that we're not going to hear about that are just going to be taking the brunt of the studio's reopening. So it's kind of a big concern right now 
that the studios don't really seem to understand what a big deal it is. I feel like this isn't the first like big uh, blockbuster one that I've heard of either. I want to say uh, the n- Tom Holland Uncharted film, I believe, has been on and off. Oh, I mean, don't even get me started with that as in general, but... In terms of the production right now, it's been on and off due to COVID. And uh, I want to say the new Marvel Shang-Chi movie has been yes. trying to contain itself in a bubble, but I, I, I don't know how well that's been going either. I haven't heard much on that one yet. According to Forbes, Tom Cruise okay. has chartered a 530-passenger cruise ship that they are using to travel around during the pandemic to avoid further outbreaks on Mission Impossible 7. Oh my, you can't, like, the setup I have on Zoom right now, you can't see my eyes widening as you said all of that. (laughs) That is a horror, that's a horror movie to have Tom Cruise be your cruise ship captain. (laughs) I can only assume he's in the captain's hat, like, steering the wheel during this whole time, but that is, like, next level... Scientology stuff right there to to have your quarantine boat city go around the ocean. Well, if you know anything about the last couple Mission Impossible movies productions, Rogue Nation and Fallout, Christopher McQuarrie often is kind of making things up on the fly as they go. They know the big set pieces they want, but they are often incorporating new action elements and new story beats as they go. So it wouldn't surprise me if it ended up that a cruise ship played a part in the, in Mission Impossible 7 or 8 now that they're adjusting to this new production strategy. You know, you know, I I kind of maybe take back what I said now. If they're going to use that to their advantage and have cuz you know, like I I've only seen a hand maybe even just one Mission Impossible. I think I just saw Rogue Nation out of nowhere once, but Tom Cruise is always like chasing the big stunt. In mm-hmm. whatever he, you know, the airplane that he's like hanging off the side of, or the didn't he do like the diving scene in one of those in real dangerous way? But like, if they're gonna if they're gonna get wild with the cruise ship, that can get very f- you know fun and creative. If he's gonna like dive into the propellers of a cruise ship or something, I, I can only imagine. So Seamus, as you know, uh, the entire world is canceled for COVID nineteen, but that yes, does not is. stop Star Wars nerds from getting Star Wars content. Last weekend was supposed to be Star Wars Celebration Anaheim 2020, and obviously that couldn't happen. Obviously. But a lot of the things that were supposed to be released during Celebration Anaheim got released still. News most relevant to this podcast is The Mandalorian Season 2 officially got a release date. Thank God. October 30th, which is... I, I think you said that it was farther away than you thought it was. Yeah, well, I, was surprised. I, I was under the impression that it was going to be in September, like the end of September, but I think I might have conflated that with when we were supposed to be getting the trailer. Yes. Which I believe is accurate. We should be getting it any any week now, any day now. Yeah, I mean, knowing our luck, it'll go up the second I finish editing this and upload it to SoundCloud, but... I mean, that's hopefully, usually how it goes. Hopefully we'll be talking about it next week. and then God, I hope so. So that will be the long-anticipated return of Mando Bros. 
when I listen back to our older episodes and I just hear about the Mandalorian, just us talking about it gets me excited for the new ones. And I, you know, I'm not going listening to our old podcasts a lot, but just the excitement of us watching those week to week and coming around to talk about them, I, I'm very excited to get to do that again. It's just, I don't know, it might be taking my top spot for favorite Star Wars thing, and that, you know, shows, video games, movies, and that beats out a lot of my long-standing favorite things, so... I don't know if it's my favorite Star Wars thing, but it's definitely, I think, the most consistent Star Wars thing. Maybe that's why I have such a fondness for it, is that, like, even in, like, I love the prequels, I love I love all of them, really, all the movies themselves, but there are, pr- there are plenty of problems in that series that I could not possibly no overlook kidding. as a diehard fan. I mean, anybody who loves Star Wars kind of hates Star Wars, too, in, in many ways will be looking back a lot more on The Mandalorian coming up in a few weeks before it actually premieres because up on our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to, uh, Pop Culture Reference Podcast, we're going to upload all of our full episodes there, but we're also going to be doing a new series, Pop Culture Recap. And our first Pop Culture Recap is going to be The Mandalorian Season 1, which is going to be a short video where you learn everything that you need to know going into season two of the Mandalorian. Stay tuned for that on our YouTube channel. That's a YouTube yeah, that's... exclusive. Also released for Star Wars Celebration Weekend, we got three new Star Wars video game trailers. We got the Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga gameplay trailer. You can't wait. It's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. It looks really good. It looks really innovative for a Lego game. The camera is moving in ways that I've never seen a camera move in a Lego game before. I... I assume you've also, since you were a young, a young, you've been playing these Lego games on everything, you know, Lego Indiana Jones, Lego Star Wars. Absolutely, yeah. I don't don't know if you ever got into the new ones that's like, kind of like Disney Infinity where you have like the statues that you like put in the different worlds or whatever, but. I just got, truly Seamus, two weeks ago, I got off eBay the Lego Dimensions starter pack. Hey, there you go. I, you know what? I knew that would be right up your alley, Garrett. I swear to God, I knew that would be up your alley. You know, I never did too much research into that. I kind of stopped my uh, Lego gaming days after, uh, God, I think what they made the complete saga of the Star Wars five years ago or something. But Oh, it was longer ago than that. I, that's That game came out like 10 years ago, Seamus. That was the first game oh I got God. from my Wii. God, that makes me feel older than I should feel, maybe. But, hey, I'm still... a dumb kid in my heart enough to probably get that new lego star wars game it was originally slated to come out last like spring 2020 okay then it got delayed to fall 2020 then with this new God, okay. trailer they announced it's going to be spring 2021 however with that news we found out that they are also going to be releasing on next gen at release so Okay. Not only okay. is it going to be available for PS4 and Xbox One, but it will also be available for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X at release, I'm, which I don't I'm think very... people really expected a Lego game to be. I guess the PS5 will kind of be already released by then. I mean, that's something we don't have any news on ever is the release date of the PS5, but... uh. No, and then another, uh, we will do another time, a deep dive on what we know about the PS5 so far. Oh yeah, God, I have like a cork board with a red string of just like little bits of info that I just, 
I don't care about anything but a price and a release date at this point. It's it's I know everything I need to know. I'm gonna buy it. PS5 will be out for a while before Skywalker Saga is out. So yeah, that is true. It'll be, it, it is placed firmly in the next generation category. It's also coming to Nintendo Switch. Up next, we have Star Wars Squadrons single player gameplay trailer. Also looks pretty incredible. It looks like it's gonna give me a headache, but you know. Oh man, that's fine. I am I'm ready to get straight up VR sickness every time I play. If <laughs> I can feel like a pilot like that, I. I never really play in, uh, if I'm doing, like, flying in a game, especially in a Star Wars game where you're in space and it's, like, a lot of, you know, zero-gravity stuff, uh, I never really use the first-person camera angle, which this, I believe this game is entirely first-person cockpit Entirely first-person. Yes, it's entirely first-person and entirely VR-compatible. As somebody who was dumb enough to spend so much money on a PSVR, I am very excited. I'm gonna invest even more money into, like, a flight control setup and, like, give myself a little pilot chair. It's it's gonna be dorky as hell, but we are gonna be such good squads in the sky, Garrett, me and you. This may be a little, maybe going a little bit too far, but we can call each other by, like, call signs when we're doing this. It's gonna be, like, real to me. It's gonna be so good. We got a couple of looks at some characters. Sloan, Ray Sloan from The Empire was in this gameplay trailer. We got a closer look at Hera Syndulla in a more realistic form than her animated form on Star Wars Rebels. Right, right. And Wedge Antilles confirming that he is the leader of Rogue Squadron, which he always was in like all the old expanded universe stuff, but we haven't done much with that in the Disney canon. I love that they're bringing in the trickle of that uh, extended universe stuff, just like with uh, how they brought Thrawn back into the canon again from the books. Yeah, Thrawn is in Rebels. He's a main character. Right, on, yes. He's a main antagonist on Rebels. And then I actually have out from the library right now the new Thrawn book. Oh, no kidding. Wait, there's a yeah. new one? I know there was a, well, a trilogy. It's like the new canon. Thrawn, like oh, it's the first of the, the Disney canon Thrawn books, so it's not the old stuff. And then our last Star Wars trailer was the Sims expansion. It is a Sims what? game pack for the Sims 4, Journey to Batu. So I it didn't is a game even know expa- about this, Garrett. It is a game expansion where your Sim can go to a galaxy far, far away. Uh, go to the Black Spire Outpost, which is the same planet and city that you're visiting in the theme park Galaxy's Edge at Disney. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, Garrett. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, I, I struggle to understand The Sims in a lot of ways. I, I think I kind of get the main concept of, like... It's like video game, dollhouse, second life kind of mixed all into one. But in this expansion, is it the theme park or is it the actual planet? No, you're like in Star Wars, you can interact with Kylo Ren and Rey. That's so weird. Um, that is so weird to me. You can build your own droids. You can wield a lightsaber. I know that Can you like is... fight people? I don't know. I don't know. It comes out September 8th. Oh, I've uh, Star Wars Squadrons also, I need to circle back, comes out October 2nd. Oh, God, so, can't wait. That will only be available on the PlayStation 4, but they have confirmed that it that the PlayStation 5, through backwards compatibility, will be able to play it. 
So those of us who are going to be getting a PS5, like myself, and don't have a PS4, will still be able to play Star Wars Squadrons. Also, real quick before we move on, I want to say it's like a $30 price point. Like, it's not a full-priced $60 game, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, it's, it's a $40 price point. $40 they price said. point. That says to me that it's probably going to be a pretty short story campaign, probably only like three or four hours. Something in line with, like, Battlefront 2. Yeah, probably. I, I kind of have the same idea. It's I I I mean, they haven't really hit it too, hidden it too much of, like, it's probably more based around squatting up with friends and going on online a lot more. So, yeah, uh, The Sims, that's a weird one. I do have The Sims 4 because Annie is a big Sims player. Annie is more that, into yes. those, you know, simulation games where it's not based around combat or achievements as much as it is around just enjoying being in a world that is kind of of your creation. Okay. She was telling me how there's this is actually very controversial in, like, the Sims community because there are a lot of issues that people are asking for to get fixed that... And they're just dumping been, Star Wars content out instead? Which is solely, it seems, aimed at new players. They're trying to get you and me to buy Sims content, not people who have been devoted to The Sims. Yeah, which I, you know, there are so many Star Wars games, and there are especially so many Star Wars games coming out right now. Oh, that certainly, yeah. I don't know how... Annie, who is a big Star Wars fan now, loves droids. And essentially it looks like droids are pets in this new game. Damn, you know um, what, that's actually kind of fly, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be real. Annie doesn't even seem that interested in it because there's so many other things that she would rather do. That's not what she wants from a Sims game. Like, she would ra- yeah. way rather play the Star Wars Disney Infinity levels or get the Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga. The Skywalker Saga is the real sandbox Star Wars game that I think anybody should really uh, care about right now that's coming out, at least. it's Come on, it's every movie, it being the Skywalker Saga, I actually don't believe it has uh, Rogue One and Solo attached to it, but other so than that, six, it's every movie. They've confirmed the six DLC packs. These are probably eight characters apiece, like, so additional characters for your game. Is, is it just characters, uh, or are they, are they adding up uh, levels and I, maps and stuff? They said it's just characters. So, Mandalorian Pack 1, Mandalorian Pack 2, which I'm assuming are Season 1 and Season 2. Okay, makes sense. Rogue One, Solo... The Bad Batch, which is the oh, new yes. show coming to Disney Plus. Very excited and for the Bad Batch. A pack called Classic Characters, which I'm assuming so like I'm assuming they're gonna mostly have the new Han Solo with his wavy hair and everything in the game. But if you right, wanna have right. the Han Solo from Lego Star Wars the Complete Saga, maybe that DLC pack is for you. Or, like, could, it's going to be the super old ones where it's just Luke Skywalker with, like, a smiley face that's just, yeah. like, a Lego guy. I, I could also see, see it being maybe some characters that don't fit into the existing theme packs or fit into Skywalker Saga that they might still want to have in the game. Like, Ahsoka, Captain Rex, maybe some of the Rebels characters, you know. Yeah, I could totally see that. Uh, you know, more of the spin-off goods that people would just like like a little sprinkle of added in there. But also a new feature for Skywalker Saga is going to be the ability that when you buy a Lego set, you'll get a code that activates that vehicle in the game. 
So when you buy that the Lego great. When you buy the Lego Razor Crest set, you get a code that activates the Razor Crest in the game. Dude, that is that is genuinely a very cool tie-in to go out and and I mean like I've been trying to get into actual Lego sets again recently just because they are totally awesome and I couldn't do the big hard ones when I was a kid, but the fact that they've vertically integrated all these Lego things so well, that actually kind of gets me excited to want to do something like that. That's kind of impressive to me on just purely a marketing level that I can feel that marketing working on me. So I think that wraps it up for our Star Wars Celebration news. That's all pretty exciting stuff. We're big Star Wars fans here on the pod, obviously. Yes. And then our last bit of news is pretty sad, which uh, obviously earlier this week we learned about the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Yes, the very sudden for us having, most people having not known, he he kept it very specifically secret. Yeah, uh, he was only 43 years old. I think it hits particularly hard since he, he is a landmark in blockbuster cinema because of what Black Panther means to so many people. Absolutely. He was he was and is like as devastating as as it is that he only held the mantle for such a short time that he will be remembered forever for the you know, the film that broke a lot of these barriers in major blockbuster films like the way Black Panther did. Absolutely. I mean, this has been a sentiment echoed a lot on the internet recently that he was diagnosed in 2016, so so many of the films, not only Black Panther and Marvel films that he's known for, but also things like Marshall and The Five Bloods, he was doing so much work while going through his cancer battle, which is so impressive that he, the entire time he was Black Panther, he was battling colon cancer. You know, he worked so hard to become, you know, who he was in the industry, and... You also see all this stuff now about, like, at the exact same time he was, you know, doing everything he could to work through all these problems he was having. He was still being genuine and very nice, going to these charities, hospitals, meeting kids who, for all intents and purposes, had very similar circumstances to himself. And he still kept this very genuine grace and poise about everything that he did on and off screen it was just ah oh, it's just a, a very very genuine shame it is it's sad because there's not much for us to say about him other than what a terrific talent he was how gracefully he handled everything and how sad it is that we won't be able to see where he could have gone oh yeah heavy stuff i'm i'm sure considering how iconic he was in the marvel franchise and all of the plans for his character going forward within the universe, I'm sure there is going to be a very big uh, send-off. Absolutely. Let's move on to our next segment, which is a new segment that we've introduced after our involuntary hiatus. Yes. Uh, This is Pop Culture Ketchup, our new segment where we talk about things that we weren't able to talk about when they happened, unfortunately, because of us being off the air, but we still feel like we should chime in and give our thoughts on. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, the state of movie theaters right now and the return of drive-ins. Yeah, it's been 
very interesting to have started a media podcast right on the cusp of global shutdown, especially in big crowded areas like a good movie theater, which, you know, I... I will love going to the movies for the rest of my life. If I ever get to go to the movies again, that will be nice. But I am taking a long break, much like many, many others. Even, you know, besides the a lot of the government-mandated theater shutdowns. But as of right now, as of recording this, I believe uh, so select theaters are reopening for the release of Christopher Nolan's Tenant, which for some reason absolutely could not be streamed as a premiere. I kind of understand the budget restrictions on having to actually release it somewhere, but... But, I mean, I think also that it can be done, and there are ways for it to be done. Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey got a brief theatrical release, but it is a Warner Brothers film, just like Tenet, that immediately got its release moved to the digital realm. God, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I the only thing I can think about with specifically Tenet and Christopher Nolan is the... He's a man who very much needs to have his movies viewed a certain way. I no, feel everything like, I've heard, yeah. You know, all is of that, his, It's him that was pushing for this. I, I mean, I didn't even hear that officially, but every time I would see the trailer and it would say only in theaters right at the end, I would be like, that's him making a fuss about having to see it in a specific IMAX style of, you know, viewing. I love celluloid. I love seeing things on celluloid. I love the theatrical experience, and I want it protected. But I think it's really disrespectful to your audience to have such a closed-minded outlook on what's going on in the world right now. Like, I saw Dunkirk opening night in 70mm at the Music Box. I love that. I, I didn't see it opening night, also saw it on 70 in a small theater. It was very good, if I'm being honest. I mean, I'm definitely not knocking and, I mean, Dunkirk. My comment isn't to talk about Dunkirk as a film, but I'm just saying, like, I am enthused by Christopher Nolan's continued usage of formats that people seem to consider outdated. I so get what you mean now, yes. on film exhibiting on film making things like that available which has he and tarantino together have really brought back that kind of exhibition which is great but at the same time there is a time and a place where you have to consider the well-being of the masses before your own artistic tendencies i i think i totally agree there i think a little perspective on how, you know, releasing a major film like this, he knows he has a base. People will see Tenet, no matter how it would have been released, but he is like you said, him and Tarantino are kind of bringing back that exhibition big spectacle style of movie viewing, and like you said, I love that too, but I very much have perspective on how dangerous something like that can be right now, and there has yet to be you know, there are multiple states that are, are slowly opening up their movie theaters, and I have yet to really see a plan in place for a specific theater that would make me, as a customer, comfortable with going to sit in a, a big room of strangers for however many hours. I used to work at a small movie theater in Chicago. I know how disgusting people can be when they're in the dark and they think nobody can see them, and... Mm -hmm. 
I think the valiant efforts of the the crew of those theaters to scrub everything clean is probably working for the most part, as far as I know. But it's not the employees that I don't trust. It's not the th- it's not even the th- people running the theaters I don't trust. It is the other patrons that I'm gonna be in that room for two hours with that I exactly. Don't trust. I, I was just gonna, there's there's like two kinds of people right now who are going to a movie theater, and it's it's somebody who is like mask on for the whole two hours you know, gloves at any moment they can, wiping down their seat before they even get there with, you know, whatever they can. And then there's the people that go in, guns blazing, germs shooting out of both holsters, just like in every direction that, oh, the movie theater's open, pandemic's done, gonna go see... The New Mutants. There it is, the New Mutants. I was trying to think of literally anything that's out right now. It's not Tenet, and I could not come up with it, but... Oh, New Mutants! What a maybe we should do that on an episode just to, just to really stick it to the audience. The alternative that has presented itself that I'm so glad to see the public embracing is drive-in theaters. Yes, it's it's a fantastic comeback trend. I, I'm I'm all for it. And once again, the Music Box, uh, in addition to all of their social distancing enforcement and their heavy precautions, are partnered with a drive-in theater in the south side of chicago there is the McHenry drive-in up in northern illinois i know that the marcus cinemas which is the theater chain mostly local to wisconsin uh in and around milwaukee are transforming the sides of their buildings into drive-in theaters i'm all about it garrett i i think that that's it's fun it's safer than literally any other way to see a movie that's not streaming right now and I mm-hmm. think that if the cinema, like the movie theater industry, is going to kind of coast through this era we're going through right now, I think a lot more of them are going to have to adopt a, a drive-in style for a while, at least. That is our brief synopsis of where movie theaters are right now. We'll keep you updated as more movies keep coming out, because in the next couple months, supposedly Wonder Woman... Uh, James Bond, the new Pixar film Soul, are all supposed to be coming to theaters. And so we'll see what happens there. We'll see now that... (laughs) I can only imagine that the flood of big blockbusters that you just mentioned is going to, you know, either further reform this newer revival of pay-per-view that we're kind of seeing with new releases, uh, or if it's going to force theaters to adopt even more you know effective and new ways to stop the spread within the actual indoor theaters themselves well we will see but i urge anybody listening to our rinky dink podcast no movie is worth you getting covid19 and no movie is worth the employees at a movie theater getting covid19 so absolutely rent them if they're available go to a drive-in if there's one near you there are methods for you to see Black Widow when it comes out. I promise you they will let you see it. Just, mm-hmm. you know, be safe. Be smart, people. I think it's time for us to move on to our main segment, 1998 Disney Animation's Mulan. I really like this movie, Garrett. There was a great era of us when we grew up. This actually, you know, 1998, that was the year I was born... Obviously, I kind of missed the release of this one, but, like, growing up with, like, this, Aladdin, Hercules, a lot of these lesser traditional-feeling 
animated kids movies. A lot of this movie, having not seen it in a while, re-surprised me in a lot, a lot of ways that even in a 1998 animated Disney movie, I did not think I would see some of the stuff in here that I did. Well, Seamus, what you're referring to is the Disney Renaissance, which is... Oh, is that what it's called? It's called... It's the Disney Renaissance. It is ten films that are considered, like, the golden age of Disney animation. I want... It's like Mulan, Aladdin, Hercules. Do you want me to give you the years? Okay, give me the years. So this is 89 to 99. Okay, that's okay. A little more recent than I thought, but that is where the sweet spot is, really. There's obviously, I think it's actually called the Disney Golden Age back from the, like, 50s and 60s. I mean, even before that with Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. But Disney definitely went through a dark period in the 70s and 80s, and then they were eventually brought out of that by The Little Mermaid. So the official ten films of the Disney Renaissance are The Little Mermaid, Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast... Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, and it caps off with Tarzan. Wow. That, that is like a powerhouse lineup of... That's like some of the best stuff I ever watched as a child, truly. That's mm-hmm. like most of my childhood, minus like... I don't think I ever saw Rescuers Down Under. I don't even know if that... I don't oh, even know what that Seamus. is, man. Oh, Seamus. You're <laughs> missing out, my man. Is it like, are they mice? Yeah, are they yeah, English? You, you know the rescuers with uh, with Bob Newhart and Zsa Zsa Gabor. I, I think so. It's uh, it's like a distant memory. It's a 1977 Disney film, The Rescuers. Man. Um, it's great, but even better than The Rescuers is The Rescuers Down Under, which is the sequel that came out ten years later. Do they go to Australia? They go to Australia, and it's so beautifully animated and it's just a rip rolling action adventure powerhouse Seamus oh man that I love that that's so dope yeah but I mean I would say Mulan is the top of the Disney Renaissance tier definitely for me Mulan and Beauty and the Beast are probably the top of those 10 films out of those films for me I usually go Aladdin and Hercules for the classics those are the ones that me and my older brother watched on like repeat on VHS when we had them but rewatching Mulan I feel like it might even belong with those other two in terms of just like I don't know I know I know a lot of Disney films seem very the same in a lot of ways and I guess most of them are just like the hero's journey with little sprinkles of you know, fun animal sidekick here and there, but... The traditional Disney model is beyond even the hero's journey in terms of formulaic. Yes, the hero's journey is definitely in the classic Disney formula, but Mulan rejects so many of the other Disney staples. She is not an orphan. In fact, both of her parents are alive the entire film, which is great. Yeah, God, how did I not even realize that? That's that's kind of a rarity in a in a Disney film. Uh, she is not in any capacity a damsel in distress, which is another big one. Oh yeah. Mulan def- definitely still follows the hero's journey guide, which is fine because lo- lots of great movies do. Most great movies, maybe even do. Um, it still follows the Disney tradition of having. Uh, a love story it has cute animal sidekicks it has musical numbers but it's just done in such a 
fresh and elegant way that I think it feels a lot different from your normal Disney film. And, you know, before I agree with almost everything you just said, I want to apologize for the uh, giant industrial vacuum cleaner that I think is cleaning the hallway of my apartment (laughs) building, if that picks up. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't, but I I agree with so much of what you just said. A lot of the stuff uh, in terms of the love story that kind of gets subverted is the fact that it is so late in the movie that it becomes more of an important part for this very strong main female character it's truly her her quest is for like honor and family loyalty you know it's all for her dad and her family and i want to say the romance stuff with the captain doesn't really factor in until like she completes this very personal quest that she set out for in the beginning. The actual romance does not begin until literally the last scene of Act 2. That, that's, that's what I thought. What it does is it allows their relationship to be built on more than what most Disney relationships are built on, which is, like, attraction. Exactly. It's not just like a... <clears throat> Love at first sight, true love's first kiss, it fixed and started everything that was ever anything. It's like very serious means that they meet and interact with each other for the longest time. That as Shang grows in his appreciation and admiration for Mulan's character that she's created of Ping, Mm -hmm. that is a relationship built on trust and admiration shared values not in any way on romance or attraction you know i i'm not saying that there are no elements of romance and of course romance is also built on things like shared interests of course and appreciation but it's not in a traditional disney sense and so i mean we'll just put down a spoiler (laughs) warning now it's hard this movie came out 22 years ago yeah exactly um when Shang does find out Mulan's true identity, then the more traditional, you know, hetero romance can begin. Right, exactly. It's uh, almost more about her and her relationship with the Three Stooges guys that she becomes good <laughs> friends with, and, like, how she's getting trust in them as, like, a representation of how well she is embodying like her father or like uh, the man that she is supposed to be in this scenario. It would be really easy for this movie to only focus on Mulan is capable of doing everything that a man can do. It's really good at focusing on that message, but also the three Stooges characters that you mentioned, which are (laughs) Chen Po, Yao and Ling. Love Chen Po. Good man. Also, become more in touch with their own effeminate nature. Oh yeah, and that is true. In that it, in that climax at the temple. The first time we really get likable characterizations for the three of them are in the song A Girl Worth Fighting For, where they're singing about their desire for, you know, a beautiful girls that are dressed up in these like accessories not right. about a woman who they actually want to be their companion. Yeah, there's and a there's a the... lyric that uh Mulan is talking about like 
a you know a girl with brains who always speaks her mind is like she's throwing that into the ring of all these men just singing about like the porcelain makeup face and the the red lips that they're after and I don't know it doesn't go over very well with them at the, at the very least at the time but just like Mulan's journey to realize that not only is she on this journey for the honor of her family and for her father, but that she's also finding something in herself that she didn't know she needed to find that the three stooges, as you refer to them, of course, find they are worth fighting for. Like they become Seamus in that third act. The girl's worth fighting for. Oh my God. That is, that is beautiful. And uh, you, you're a genius, Garrett. Did you write this movie? That's, that's amazing. (laughs) That's, that's true. I was, three months old but yeah they called me in (laughs) oh they needed a younger punch-up writer of course (laughs) really i was shocked at how tightly written this movie is and how good the storytelling is and how many of the characters have their own stories going on without forcing it is a tight 90 minutes yes it it is like it's it's there and gone before you can even realize it and the entire time you're pretty pretty captivated like you said there's Mm -hmm. these side stories with like like we haven't even touched on mushu eddie murphy's dragon who has like his own version of an honor quest that he's after that kind of mirrors mulan in a couple ways or eddie murphy (laughs) is super similar to robin williams as the genie that's basically (laughs) who he's playing you're not wrong i think that is definitely an influence on him like i think that there's no question in that he does not fit this movie in any way tonally and he's a big name the celebrity voice who talks very fast and makes jokes that do not fit with the era that they're in and oh yeah it's you know he's he's great i don't even have any fault with the he can be the comic relief and also fit in the pocket of anyone to just like be in any part of anything they need to be in so I, I don't I do, complain at all. I do wish that there was a little bit less Mushu, if I'm being honest. Really? Um, yeah. I think that this movie is so good and so tonally consistent that Mushu kind of brings it down a little bit sometimes. You know, I, you're, you're not wrong. I, I, I wrote down in When They Are Singing, A Girl Worth Fighting For, it's like, it's a pretty... You know, it's a catchy song, and it sets up a lot of, like, the heteronormative themes that they're going for, but there's also a lot of, there's a couple, you know, funny Mushu and Lucky Cricket things that go on while they're singing, and then immediately they cut 180 to a burned-down village and a slaughtered field of soldiers that is, like, pretty hardcore to look at. There's, like, a field of bodies I think that is probably the best sequence in this film, like going straight from the traditional Disney I want song from these yeah, characters that's right. to a battle-ravaged, burned-down village. Like they find like the little girl's doll indicating uh-huh. that there is a burned-up little girl somewhere in this village, and like the captain's father is slaughtered by the Huns. Yeah. and General Shang is killed. Even the beautiful imagery that caps the scene of Shang putting his father's helmet and sword in the snow as a grave. Mulan puts down the doll with it. So 
not only is Mulan remembering the normal people, the peasants that this conflict has impacted, but specifically it, the doll is a symbol of youth and femininity, which mm. are the very things that define Mulan. Yeah. God, what, that was such a powerful, like I said, like there was that 180 instance where it's like seemingly they don't even finish the song. I don't even know if they do. No, no really it cuts off like mid-lyric. A, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. That, and hey, that that's the last me. musical number. Oh my God. You, that is true too. You notice so much about these Disney movies that I just get swept away in. Oh my God. It functions as, I don't want to get too much into like screenwriting minutia, but that is the act to midpoint, yeah, which okay. is where a story, where essentially the biggest twist in your story is supposed to come in. And so the first half of that movie is standard funny Disney musical, and that's when it really becomes a war film. And yeah. it focuses more on the darker aspects of the reality of the conflict that they're in and the characters become more serious. Even Mushu becomes more serious yeah. as the film goes on there. I think the only musical like reprise at all is you hear, they don't sing it, but when they're infiltrating the palace dressed as concubines, you hear the chorus of I'll make a man out of you come up again. Yes. I actually did notice that. I jotted that down. Which, one, is just funny because obviously they are dressed as women. So Yeah. It's uh, kind of great flip on the idea of, like, you pretty much need to be a man to do anything, let alone anything exceptional in this kind of society. And then they're really letting it all, you know, hang by the wayside when they can do everything they need to in channeling that femininity that they have, like, been so obviously repressing as they knock each other's teeth out for no reason throughout the entire movie. Like, the return of the music represents the fact that things are becoming more hopeful again. Yeah. Like, yeah, they yeah. might actually win. They've got a plan. Seriously, that whole last action sequence where they're in the Imperial City, I think is what it was, mm -hmm. where they're doing the big military parade, and it's the comeback of all the Huns and stuff. I don't, it's so... It got me tingling, man. I was watching that, and I was just, like... The action was the action. I felt that stuff as it was happening. It was so... The it's threats really of the good. Huns coming back, all the, you know, fireworks and the rockets, even just, like, the animation of the big... The massive crowd throughout all this, the mm -hmm. bright colors that went with it, everything together about this last climax part was just... It was doing it for me really well, and I didn't even notice the lack of music as they were just, like, getting into the serious fighting. I mean, this is a cliche, but it's like clockwork. It's yeah. like every little gear and cog is just working so well together to make this thing run exactly like it needs to. Not that there aren't some flaws. Of course, of course. But even, like, politically, like, in a meta-narrative, Mulan works better than I expected it to and holds up better than I expected it to. But also, a lot more of this cast is Asian than I remember it being, which yeah. I was impressed by. I I, actually, um, I looked at that are, cast list, too, and I, I kind of agree. I mean, obviously, Ming-Na Wen and B.D. Wong, I knew were the leads, who are obviously both Asian. I also did some research about 
the the casting decisions because I was curious about like if there was any backstory that I could find about that. And Harvey Firestein, who plays Yao, right? Um, you know Harvey Firestein's a great actor. He's been in loads of stuff. Um, totally, and that voice of his, ooh, love that Harvey Firestein voice. Apparently, he really objected to being in the film. He didn't want to play an Asian character and take that role away from an Asian actor. All right, wow, and that's very, I don't know, that's very big of him, especially yeah. for 1998 when, you know, you really didn't have to care as mm-hmm. much as you do now about something like that. I'm glad that he had that kind of forethought. But then, of course, Disney talked him into it anyway, so... Right, yeah, I'm sure they I, wrote him a fat check. So, yeah, I um, I said to Annie after we finished it, I don't know what the new one could actually do to improve upon that. I've been hearing a lot of things about the new one. I know that it's missing a lot of the fan-favorite aspects of the original. I, I think it's very much trying to distance itself from the original in many, many ways, the track record of a lot of these Disney films has been to be pretty strictly similar to the original, and I think this one is... It's its, it's very much diverting from that uh, remake factory formula that they've been using for the last couple of years. If they are going to remake these Disney films as live-action, or even in the case of The Lion King, just, like, realistically <laughs> animated yeah. It's very films. weird to call that live-action. Like, I'm excited about the idea of them trying new things. My issues with the new Mulan and why we're not talking about it today stem mostly from other reasons than the Disney reboot factory. Okay, so my objections about the new Mulan definitely stem, I mean, in part due to the remake uh, factory that I keep, that we keep referencing, that I just could, I cannot get behind the idea of just recycling ideas so blatantly, but more so there was a lot of political controversy with the main actress who plays Mulan and I believe the director uh, coming out publicly in support of the Hong Kong police against the Hong Kong protesters that have been uh, taking to the streets for, I think, over a year now, maybe a little over a year. They, yeah, they were very open and unapologetic about their uh, loyalties to the Chinese government in a lot of ways that I thought was inappropriate and downright uh, unacceptable in a lot of ways. So I think that coming back to this uh, 1998 Mulan was a good way to, you know, still appreciate this kind of story with all of this history attached to it without having to directly support, uh, you know, something that is growing increasingly harder to support, which, you know, is a lot of things Disney to me right now. Well, that is the big problem, is those people obviously were the spokespeople for what was being said, but you can't forget that Disney has a lot of interests in that area, specifically. You know, Chinese government only lets in a select few foreign films every year. Yeah, that's right. So Disney is trying to take up a big share of that market because they're trying to take it up with Star Wars, with Avengers, and with their Disney films. 
Disney's trying to take up a reasonable market share of the international films going into China, so they do not want to upset the Chinese government. I, I get, I suppose, in, in a lot of like That's financial ways. Of course not. It's it's, it's all me. business for a company as big as Disney. It's, it's me trying to keep in perspective exactly what all of the motivators are from a yeah. corporate perspective. Not to mention the fact that there's a Disney park in Hong Kong. God, I actually didn't even know that. My God. God, yeah, for a government that has completely banned the image of Winnie the Pooh, you'd think that there would be some kind <laughs> of, you know, line in the sand that they could draw that's not one specific character. But, you know, I guess they're people like, you know, Star Wars over there, too. So they're going to sell them Star Wars no matter what. One of the other primary reasons we're not talking about the new Mulan that came out this week today on the podcast is our objection to the price gouging that Disney is trying yes, to set Jesus. a precedent for when it comes to the in-theater rental. Because uh, the current price point is you can rent Mulan with Disney Plus Premier Access, which is a $30 rental fee, essentially. $30 is a lot of money for one extra movie to stream on a streaming service, you know? Uh- I think the reason they kept that language so vague as, like, premiere access is because potentially in the coming months they will be releasing more films on Disney Plus before they're out of the theater or instead of going to the theater at all. So I think it's possible that we could be seeing more films coming to Disney Plus with premiere access. And if it's going to be $30 for flat fee to get Disney Plus Premier Access and see all of those films, that's one thing. But $30 for one film is a ridiculous inflation of the current going rate for digital rental. And Disney, as a leader in the film industry, could be setting a really dangerous precedent when it comes to the future of rental. I don't know, it's not acceptable to me to pay $30 for one movie. We will be reviewing Mulan when it is included with a standard Disney Plus subscription on December 4th, which means that it will be our Sunday, December 6th episode. And yeah, that's that's about the long and short of it. I think that the 1998 Mulan was a fantastic compromise to keep everything on theme. Honestly, this movie held up so much better than I was expecting it to. I was really glad to watch it, Seamus, and I was really glad to talk about it with you today. Me too, Garrett, me too. So uh, I think that wraps it up for our main segment. Now let's move on to uh, Where's Riley? I'm going to go ahead and say walking the lonely streets, hitchhiking like the Hulk, trying to find anywhere safe to hunker down during all these scary times. As poetic as that sounds, (laughs) he has found shelter, Seamus, in the Jersey Mike's in the northwest suburbs of Chicago where he works. God, I should have known. That's literally the answer 45% of the time. Now let's move on to our pop culture reference of the episode. We could not think of a more timely example of what's going on, what's impacted the main industry that we talk about, which is Hollywood, media, than to talk about the closest analog that we have historically to what's going on right now, which is the impact of the 1918 flu on Hollywood. Yeah, almost in a Twilight Zone-esque similarity, we are going through... The the effect that the Spanish flu had on Hollywood was nearly identical to what we're seeing right now in a lot of ways, including the implementation of uh, massive shutdowns due to stars catching 
you know, the disease of whichever era we're talking about here. So yeah, this is close to the end of World War One. The Spanish flu, as it was known then for propagandistic purposes, starts outbreaking all over the world. Initially, it was thought of by the Hollywood studios as a, quote, East Coast problem. Which, I mean, if you've never heard anything so American in any era, it's just hearing about a terrible disease and then thinking that it's not your problem. Theaters and studios continued going on business as usual until it started impacting their productions. You know, we talked about Robert Pattinson earlier in the episode. Studios had to stop production, like you said, Seamus, back in 1918 because so many people were catching this flu including major stars at the time including uh, Dorothy and Lillian Gish who which were major silent film actors I think there's a lot to be learned from this historical event especially the fact that the studios didn't shut down until the Los Angeles County Council made them shut down (laughs) um also so, very perfect with everything that's going on now, just forced to be safe and healthy by anybody who cares, and then keeping the shutdown is such a negative thing, which is what I keep seeing a lot of. A lot of people are angry that they can't go sit in a big cough box with other people. So now that brings us to the end of our episode, Seamus. It's time to save the rec center. I never thought that I would be into a television show like ABC's Once Upon a Time, Garrett. Really, Shavis? It never interested me. My lovely girlfriend, Kara, has been watching it recently, and I've been kind of giving it a little bit of my, you know, half of my attention here and there, and then I I started to sit down and watch some episodes farther into the run, and it is so weird. It is so strange. It is truly just like an acid trip of fairy tale Avengers crossovers where so many people are evil and also, like, three different characters in, like literary history so it's going to disney plus uh in about a week so i never thought i'd get into it garrett let me tell you garrett why don't you tell me what your rec center is this week seamus you're gonna be thrilled let me tell you oh god lay it on me i finally got from the library on blu-ray the classic sandra bullock keanu reeves vehicle oh my god speed Oh my god, I love it. What did you think? Have you seen it yet? It was the best movie I've ever seen, I think. It's <laughs> um, insane. It's insane. I love it so much. I had never seen this movie somehow, even though it combines my three favorite things, which are Alan Ruck, Jeff Daniels, and 90s action movies. The action and practical effects are so good. The characters and performances are so likable. It is competently directed. I really miss when blockbusters were sincere, Seamus. Right, like, yes, of course, I know exactly what you mean. Everything is just quips all the time now. Everybody's gotta be funny and not take the situation (laughs) seriously. And I want Keanu Reeves beating up the inside of a bus. It's all I want. Yeah, dude. I, I'm right there with you. There's some kind of heart that's in Speed and movies like Speed that you just can't recapture these days. It lived up to my expectations, which is saying something because I had pretty high hopes for this movie. I'm super happy I finally got to see this one. Well, I'm very happy that you did. We'll watch it together soon, I'm sure. i do it for this podcast, like that you said. That would be great. I would love that, Seamus. I will say that little chime you just heard is my computer about to shut off, so I definitely have to save this audio file real quick. So, Well, great. 
this is the end of our episode then, folks. See you Alrighty. next week for our Bill and Ted trilogy talk. Can't wait. Oh, I cannot wait for more Keanu. This is Pop Culture Reference signing off. We'll see you next week. See you, everybody.